Good afternoon, you are listening to Resonance 104.4 FM and this is Art Then and Now with me, your host Anna Gammons. This is a show where we explore art from the past and then art from the present to understand how we as humans express ourselves through time. Our theme this week is public art and I got to catch up with artist and architect Hannah Bennyhood about the importance of creating artwork that can be experienced by everyone. But first, I thought it would be fun to talk a little bit about some of the public art here in London because sometimes we are so busy power walking to work that we forget there are so many pieces of public artwork sprinkled throughout the city. So this is hopefully going to make you a little bit more aware so you can enjoy them too. The first was the Monument to the Great Fire of London. And the reason I want to talk about this is because uh, there are a few interesting facts around it. And the first and main one being that the monument is referred to as the monument. And I didn't realise this is why Monument Station is called Monument. It was named after Monument, which seems really obvious now, but I just didn't think about it. Uh, But the monument stands in Monument Yard. Goodness, how many times am I going to say monument during this segment? But uh, it stands in Monument Yard. It's built in 1671 to 1677, um, and the architect was Christopher Wren and Robert Hook. Um, so, as I said, it is uh, to commemorate the Great Fire of London. It's 62 meters high, and it's a Doric column with an urn of fire at the top, and it stands just north of London Bridge in Yep Monument, uh, specifically near the site of Pudding Lane, which was the where the fire actually started on the 2nd of September 1666 at the King's Baker, and the column itself stands on the site of St Margaret's Church, which was actually the first thing destroyed in the fire. But what's interesting is that its height which is 62 metres, is actually the distance from where the fire began. So if you were to lay it on its side, it would be a direct line from uh, from where the fire began to where the monument actually stands. There's also a viewing platform near the top, which I had no idea about. You can reach that if you do want to climb the 311 very narrow steps. Uh, but there's also, interestingly, a sort of pear, um, it's pear, which is the golden boy of Pie Corner, which is in Smithfield, which marks where the fire was stopped. So that's interesting, actually. I didn't know it was kind of a set of two. Now, the next piece of public art is the Albert Memorial, which is at Kensington Garden. It was designed by Sir George Gilbert Scott in 1872, but it was commissioned by Victoria, Queen Victoria, in memory of her late husband, Albert, who died in 1861. Now, if you have been watching the Victoria ITV series, uh, you can kind of tell a little bit about their relationship, which was that they argued like cat and dog, but they were very much in love. And after Albert's death, Uh, Queen Victoria spent the rest of her years pining after him and commemorating his life um, through the arts mainly. And that was appropriate because Albert was such a huge patron of the arts during his lifetime. So it was very fitting to commemorate his life with a piece of art. Um, The statue or memorial itself is in the Gothic revival style, but it's meant to look like a canopy or pavilion. And it's 54 metres tall. Inside is a statue of the prince and it, 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 you can tell uh, is I mean, it's 120,000 was what it cost at the time. 
which is the equivalent to 10 million. But the statue of the prince inside is dripping with gold, like it's fully gold. There's so much gold on this thing. Uh, it looks very expensive, but it's also incredibly detailed as well. So the central part of the memorial is there's a frieze. It's called the Frieze of Parnassus, which contains 169 sculptural depictions of artists, composers, poets, architects, musicians, and uh, which is a way to represent Albert's patronage to the arts as well. There are also four groups of sort of allegorical sculptures on the outer canopies, uh, which represent the Victorian industrial arts at the time. So sciences, engineering, agriculture, commerce. And then there are four other groups on the of the representing the four traditional continents of the time. So Africa, the Americas. Asia and Europe and they're sort of designed they've got animals and people and um, kind of more traditional iconography that's used um, so yeah really beautiful statue you can see it from the road you don't actually have to be in the garden but you know you can you can see it in Kensington Gardens if you're ever in the Chelsea area definitely go and see it it's hard to miss uh, the next piece of art I wanted to talk about is called Kinder Transport, uh, it's the arrival, it's in Hope Square, Liverpool Street, was um, created in 2006, a very heartbreaking and meaningful sculpture by artist Frank Meisler and Ari Ovadia, I hope I'm saying that right, um, but it's Kinder Transport, which is German for children's transport and the story behind this is um incredibly powerful. The statue or um, I guess memorial represents uh, the rescue effort by the UK, where they rehomed 10,000 predominantly Jewish children in the nine months preceding the Second World War. So the Nazis has occupied Germany, parts of Austria, and also Czechoslovakia and Poland, and therefore many, many thousands of Jewish children were at risk. Um, but with the support of the encouragement of the British government, they were placed in British foster homes and schools and on farms as well. And there's a sad fact that is that the children who had been transported were often the only members of their family to survive the Holocaust, which is truly tragic. Um, but in some senses, I guess, um, heartwarming to think that, you know, this was an effort made by the British government. But the statue itself is 2.3 metres high and it's of five children. They're in their travelling outfits. They're standing at the end of a railway track with their suitcases. They're sort of clutching teddy bears too. They look hopeful and there's an inscription that reads, whoever rescues a single soul is credited as though they had saved the whole world, which is a truly beautiful sentiment. And around the base of the statue are these kind of bronze blocks which are inscribed with the cities from which the children fled, including um, Berlin, Hanover and Vienna too. And it's actually part of a series of four statues by the same sculptor um, that are in other cities as well. So I really liked that too. It was a kind of, it's a network remembering the efforts made to um, to save lives, which is really incredible. And the final is a uh, piece, is a very, very modern piece of modern art. And it's actually the biggest uh, piece of public art in Britain. It is the Arcella Mittal Orbit, or just the Orbit Tower, uh, and it's in Queen Elizabeth Olympic Park in Stratford. And it was is designed by Sir Anish Kapoor and Cecil Balmond, who won the Turner Prize for it. It was unveiled in 2014, and it's essentially a 114.5 metre high uh, kind of tower, but it's also got sort of red metalwork, which almost looks like sort of a double helix 
which is woven around the central tower and it's got an observation tower as well where people can go but it's essentially meant to uh, be a permanent legacy of of Britain's um of London hosting the 2012 Summer and Para Olympics so everyone was kind of like no don't take it down we need something to commemorate this permanently this kind of triumph um and this this sort of sort of memory of all the kind of world coming together so yeah really really cool um design it's also got a permanent tunnel slide as well which is the world's longest one at 178 meters which I think is really quite funny um I haven't been on it yet but if anyone has uh do let me know I would love to know if it's any uh if it's any good but it sort of gives a different uh feel to that area of London and and also a sort of different perspective when you're on the slide and when you're looking at London from afar it's almost like you know new horizons new perspectives there's some quite you know there's quite a lot of meaning behind it too. Uh, so yeah, those are those are some of the pieces that I thought were interesting to talk about in London. Of course, there are hundreds of them, but um, but yeah, a few of my faves. Good afternoon. You are listening to Resonance 104.4 FM and this is Art Then and Now. It is now time for my interview with architect and artist Hannah Bennyhood and I met up with her in her studio in East London where we spoke about public art and why it is pretty darn essential to the well-being of city communities. Enjoy. So I am with Hannah Bennyhood, who is an artist and architect. Hi, Hannah. Hello. So should we start with the basics? How did you become an artist and architect? Do you have formal training, for example? Well, I do. You kind of have to, to be an architect. Sure. So yeah. <laughs> little, yeah. Hard, little harder to blag. Um, so to become an architect in the UK takes seven years training. Oh my goodness. Yeah, it's a bit of a long one, a bit of a mission. God, I really didn't know that. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense because it's a very important yeah like buildings (laughs) falling over and all that sure so uh yeah you do a three-year degree and then you do a year out and then you do a two-year master masters and then you do another year um out and then you do like the same time stuff in university and then you have a big exam at the end of seven years so that was the training yeah so you're from london but you went to canada to work as well that must have been very different i imagine from working in the uk yeah it was totally different um because i left my job as an architect when i went to canada your job in london as an architect okay scary and i qualified as an architect and i was being an architect uh-huh. and uh, having a uh, an okay time, and sure. I kind of just thought, I'm not so sure about all of this. It was a 30 year old crisis. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, but it was great, but it was completely different because my one rule I had, I didn't know what was going to happen, but the one rule was that I wasn't going to get a job in architecture. Okay. And I just went. And I'd already been doing my art on the side for about four years, maybe. Uh-huh just as a hobby and then I got picked up by a gallery so then I started selling work commercially and I was just like mm, maybe I'll try this yeah so, like yeah. it's and but I had never because I was totally immersed in the world of architecture I didn't know any artists mm-hmm. and art, being an artist for me was like being a rock star like I didn't know like okay. any versions of like jobbing so interesting that you say musicians that, yeah. yeah 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 I, t- I totally get what you mean and it's also like the case of in the creative industry you literally do just kind of stumble into different because it's very interconnected it's not like yeah. I mean you had formal training to be an architect but it's not like being a lawyer or you then you stumble yeah. into the medicine like it just doesn't work like that no because it does kind of in the creative industry sometimes yeah exactly um, if you're willing to yeah like, yeah totally. they're definitely like transferable 
skills. Yeah, so yeah. You did quite a lot of public art, is that right? In, in Canada, I was yeah. looking um, at your website and it seems like you had some really exciting projects and it made me think, like, how would you describe kind of what public art is and how it's important? Because I feel like some people may think that all art is public or... Yeah, oh, I see what you mean. I suppose I count public art as artwork that doesn't have a formal barrier and is open to everyone. So okay. for me, I suppose, again, not coming from art school, I found galleries to have a kind of... Uh, there was this invisible barrier to them. Like, they were quite... You know, you have to be maybe a certain class or, mm-hmm. you know, you have to be a certain temperament. Like, even now, I feel yeah. loud in galleries. They make mm-hmm. me feel loud. Oh, art is, is, is a very... Um, totally. There, there's a kind of pomp to it as well, which yeah. is, in some some certain galleries, that can be very intimidating. Exactly. And, yeah. So I find that public art, just, you know, you stumble across it on the street in the... Uh, and that's from graffiti to sculptures in parks. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like there isn't that bad to who gets mm-hmm. to see it or it's like democratizing art exactly. kind of thing. That's yeah, nice. yeah that's how I find mm-hmm. public art and yeah. I suppose because I've been in architecture which has that very public facing um functional kind exactly of thing, yeah. for me that was just something that I kind of gravitated to yeah. very naturally I think the way I generally just think because of my training is spatial mm-hmm. so I don't ever really well sometimes it depends what I'm I'm doing but I mostly think in three dimensions so um, that's exciting it's just like it's just like the way I when people say something I'll your spatial reasoning must be very good I don't know I still manage to get lost and stuff so I don't know but it's just like the way I think is like oh how could that thing feel if you walked into it or sat next to it or you know that kind of thing and how you have that interaction with Mm. that work no I like that a lot who so who commissioned the pieces you were doing was it did you kind of reach out or did people come to you or no I definitely reached out (laughs) I mean you sort of have to I mean unless you're Tracy Evan you kind of have to exactly exactly um so you know so the, the way I get my artwork is kind of three different ways so um the first one I do is like um public art calls so um if someone already wants a piece of public art and they um they then do a competition or a call out for artists and I I go into that so there's lots of competition work that I do um and then I also do um networking so just meet as many people yeah. as humanly possible yeah, make yeah, those yeah. business cards which can rain. be hard in the art world as well because people can be quite insular like oh I found yeah. and then the last one is doing like passion projects so projects that no one's really asked you to do yet mm-hmm. so you kind of conceive them and you build them in your own yeah. mind and then you go for grants so you find places oh, with see. pots of money and then you be you say this is my idea will you give me the money right, for it right okay kind of like a CV build like when you intern for free at somewhere you're doing a job that you don't get paid to do but you love it and yeah. it builds up exactly yeah. is there is there a particular project that you have remembered as being the highlight or like one of the best things not necessarily in Canada just yeah the kind of public art or or art piece that you really uh, loved oh it's so difficult because they're all so different mm. um but I think one that was like a big turning point for me was one called the city of stories and it was a collaboration with the old architecture practice that I was at, actually. Right. And it was a, for London Festival of Architecture, and it was a 1 to 50 scale model of a, of a bit of Dalston. And we created oh, it out of cardboard, and we suspended it in the car park. Oh, cool. And it was all about highlighting homelessness in the city. So half of the pieces were cut out by people that were in recovery, 
uh, and people were all coming off the streets, and then half the people, were, half the pieces were cut by architects. Right. And okay. it, the idea, they, and then they had all these Jacob letters hanging down. They had all these stories on them from people who had um, experienced homelessness in some way, shape, or form. And um, yeah, just the whole experience was so amazing because it became so much bigger than my original idea. Like it ended up meaning so much to so many people, and people got yeah. really emotional about oh, seeing their stories. <laughs> it was so beautiful. Yeah, it sounds and it. like even like things like cutting the cardboard. Mm. Um, I thought it, we would use it as a way to um, get stories, so you don't have to formally interview. Yeah. But um, what ended up happening was that um, the people who were at the charity were like Hannah every day I get up I have therapy and for the rest of the day all I have to do is not take drugs like that's what I have to do yeah that's and suddenly task. I gave them something else yeah. to do and they yeah. ended up calling up asking for more cardboard and oh, we were like God. driving more cardboard down there and they like so got into the project but it's part of the human condition that we need a purpose we need to feel exactly. relevant we need to feel connection Absolutely. and purpose so and yeah, I feel like so nice. art has this unique ability to be able to foster that. And that's mm-hmm. why I'm so focused on community engagement through my artwork. Because mm-hmm. it, it all kind of really started like that, that genre with that piece of work. Because mm. I, I thought people just in the arts liked being part of art projects. Yeah, but yeah. everyone loves being part of art projects. They actually do. And you don't have to... And so I see my role as the artist as like curating or creating this project that allows people to access that. Yeah, 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 giving the parameters to people for to Yeah, because be if you just say make some art, that's so intimidating. I totally. mean I find that difficult when I get to the studio and a blank yeah, yeah, page, yeah. I'm like, Jesus. Oh, tell me about it. <laughs> so like, you know, it's you yep. can't just say that to someone who's no, like not can't. in the arts. That that's kind of your role as well, is to kind of help shape a community and with the art pieces that you do absolutely. as well well it's my goal yeah you know, I hope, yeah, I hope yeah, that's yeah. what I'm achieving but yeah Ooh, that's yeah. absolutely what I, I'm trying to do yeah are there different ways that you felt like the art has made a real impact on a community or a public space for example and um, so there's one piece as well that I've just well I'm, it's not completely finished yet because it's much larger scale but this was for a pump station Mm -hmm. and it was commissioned by the council and they brought me on as part of the design team so Mm -hmm. it was architects engineers um uh landscape architects and an artist which was just so exciting and that's like the dream work that I want to get but it's few and far between so it meant that I got to be part of this project from the very yeah and a specialized team as well where everyone's got their got their role and so um so i pitched an idea of a um group of six to nine year olds to design the pump station (gasps) oh i read this on your yeah Yeah, this looks so good and fun so much tell me how it was like controlling six to nine year olds and Uh, gave them to stay on task (laughs) yeah luckily they gave me some help because i would have been pretty like Oh my on God. my own but being a six year old stay on task yeah yeah is a challenge in itself <laughs> but what's so amazing is that they really push you because mm. they don't listen to anything you say no no <laughs> and like, you kind of really get stuck in these rules you know these design rules or these mm-hmm. art rules that we have and yeah. they just don't give a damn no. so yeah um so yeah so we took them along this journey where they got to influence every bit of the design mm-hmm. and it just means that this space that we've created is now this huge immersive 
art piece that you can kind of walk into and you can't really tell where art stops and architecture begins and that yes and it could have just been a pump station that's Mm. it could have just been a concrete box and some gravel yeah but the council decided to bring an artist on decided Mm. to invest in the community spirit as well exactly and like get the community to really um affect their space around them the work the work you do as an architect and an artist I feel like you know we've talked about public spaces and how those things are kind of intertwined um do you think that they're can you do one without the other or is it imperative for you that they are kept with each other personally or generally person both either (laughs) uh personally I I don't think I can I can for me they're just they're they're very like I said before they're kind of the way I think so Mm -hmm. I one one totally affects the other and the reason why I started doing art in the first place um was because the day-to-day life of an architect can be very uncreative yeah and I think like people have this vision of what architects Mm -hmm. do like walking around drawing on drawing boards and it's like well yeah but also sometimes you're specifying door handles for two weeks and you're like oh my god (laughs) and that is that kind of part of the struggle you had with it initially where you were like I feel like I need something that feeds my soul a bit more (laughs) exactly so I just used to go home and 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 make and create stuff and yeah. I had to do that to keep myself, you know, fulfilled at work. Mm-hmm. So I think you you definitely, for me personally, I need both. I know lots of architects, even if they don't, you know, do art on the side. Like there's, at my old work, there used to be loads of people that were into pottery. Like yeah. loads of people did something with their hands um, mm-hmm. to just keep that connection. Because, yeah, yeah, yeah. In, architecture school is so creative. Right. And, and then, then the real world hits. You get thrown into the real world. And it's yeah. like, oof, like, you yeah. know, I mean, sometimes you're blessed with a dream job. But like, you know, there's just the fact of architecture. Buildings are complicated and difficult and they take a lot of admin. And that's yeah. just the fact yeah. of making. And, you know, when yeah, you're yeah. in school, you're not designing buildings that are ever going to get built. So you, you don't, don't have to not, do that. Yeah, exactly. So you don't have to so be to kind of practical exactly. about it. Exactly. You get to skip all the boring stuff. Sure, but real so life true. is like, I suppose you have this vision of, what it'll be like when you're more senior or actually sometimes when you're really junior it can be quite fun because you'll be like the one doing the model making or you're the one organising the office party and like doing the (laughs) stuff that architects like once they're trained haven't got time to do and then you get high up and then you just sign off on stuff exactly exactly. that's not fun (laughs) my next question is going to be who is your art for and what effect Mm. do you want it to have but I think you've kind of described where you're at with that quite well in terms of that you want it to be for everyone is what I'm kind of getting yeah I think again that comes from training as an Mm. architect because you're always given a brief right I find it incredibly hard to make work for myself I love other people's work that they do for themselves autobiographical work like Tracy Emin or whoever yeah I personally find it quite navel gazy like okay yeah yeah yeah. no one cares about (laughs) about your boring life (laughs) so yeah I I, I can't really do it I've tried and I just think so so I always feel like architecture is always sort of um designing your way out of a problem whether that problem is Mm -hmm. you need to put on a show and you need to fit 2,000 people in the building and that's a problem how do you do it okay so I find that 
with briefs and I suppose why I'm attracted to artist calls is because someone wants something like we've got this space and we need okay, this okay, and then I'm it. like okay well how can we do that I think that 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 kind of resonates with me as well because I think both of us are very um, goal orientated mm. from what I can understand about you as well and we love a challenge <laughs> I want to talk a little bit about architecture because mm-hmm. I don't know anything about it and I find it truly fascinating um, where do you begin when you are designing a building on a large scale I don't even know where you'd start with that <laughs> um, so usually there would be a client brief so again if you think of architecture as answering a problem solving a problem yeah there's always a problem that um needs to be overcome somehow with some sort of um physical intervention it varies depending on the scale like Mm -hmm. even if you think of a family who needs a loft conversion because they're having another kid Mm -hmm. like okay well how are we going to do this yeah domestic architecture as well that's so true yeah Yeah, so and and then you have something other otherwise you'd have something maybe really large and then there's so many components that Mm -hmm. comes into it the architecture the teams for um for buildings are huge you have your architects landscape architects engineers Mm -hmm. those but then you'll have people like arbiculturalists that will survey trees and you'll have Mm -hmm. um people who do traffic plans and people who measure co2 to determine where your balconies can be opened like there's this huge team and then it starts in really rough it'll start throwing numbers around Mm -hmm. like how many things how many houses can i get on this plot right how many people can I fit in this theatre? Mm-hmm. Whatever it might one might be. Yeah. Um, and then it's a long process of designing and going back and forth with clients, back and forth, back yeah, and of forth. Course. And then with big places, you know, it's not there's not, the client isn't a simple thing. So mm. there'll be someone who's commissioning it. So mm-hmm. for example, the council. Yeah. But then there'll be the people who are living there, or the people who are living next door. Sure. You kind of start the really big picture, mm-hmm. and then you try and set all these parameters, and then you start designing. Yeah. There. And okay. it's it's exactly what I've ended up using in my artwork. Mm-hmm. And I've totally taken same that process. Whole same process. You mentioned on your website not to put you on the spot, <laughs> uh, but the designing a space is like imagining what it's like to be someone else I thought that was a really poetic way of putting it how do you do that so I suppose again it's like if you think of like designing doing that design problem situation Mm. if you're imagining if you're designing something for a mum who's having a house extension let's just say Mm -hmm. and she's got three kids under five yeah you know and all she knows is she wants more room. Yeah. Like, it's kind of your job to be like, okay, she walks through the front door. Mm-hmm. She's got a pram. Where does that go? So you need to design a place for that. She has three scooters around. Where do they go? <laughs> oh, the man. Toys are, covered, like, toys are everywhere and they just want to be yeah. able to, like, have a glass of wine at the end of the night. Well, where do all those to- toys go? Mm. Um, like, you, you have to try and envisage what it's like mm-hmm. to be this person in this space that takes a lot of empathy though as well it's a huge of empathy, like, yeah and it really it's that's why being an architect is a really important job because there might be lots of different customs that you might not partake in yourself for example yeah. um i worked in a um designing some housing in a community where there was lots of Muslim families and they didn't want open plan living because they wanted to be able to divide the areas between the men and the women mm-hmm. and so like open plan living all in vogue that's all good but yeah. it doesn't fit that community or totally. it doesn't fit those people so you have to think okay I'm not me I'm not mm-hmm. this is not for me this yeah. is for something someone yeah, else yeah. what I try to say and what I try to promote is like what we did with the pump station because we were involving children it meant that 
with children comes parents. Mm. So it was an opportunity to talk about this development that was going on and inform people in this really, yeah. like, in a way that you didn't, they didn't even really notice it. You know, mm-hmm. it was like just this informal interaction where you, the council got yeah, to yeah, talk yeah. to people in the area whilst we were mm. doing this work. Yeah. And I really think that community engagement and public art specifically, because it you really truly can have an effect on its outcome, mm-hmm. has this role to actually um, facilitate communication between developers or councils or people mm-hmm. building and the community around it. I really feel like public artwork has got this ability to bridge yeah, these yeah, two yeah. Things. so that's the space I'm looking to promote and move into yeah, yeah. Um, but you have to convince people to spend the money to do it, to do it you have you got anything lined up like current projects and stuff that allow you to have those really positive effects on communities and things like that I've just been shortlisted for some things so I'm very excited oh very excited for a park just outside of London and it's kind of interesting because it's in a really diverse community right so I've pitched a project where we do community building through communal dining so it's like a series of like dinner parties that different community members have kind of like come dine with me but without the scoring and then like so (laughs) the idea is that you kind of we like design a dinner party and then we have the dinner party and then the next person hosts the next person because people connect through food exactly cultures the idea is that we'll come up with some sort of like infrastructure for communal dining for the community by the end so where can people find you to find more information on you and your work Hannah I already mentioned I found you on Instagram yes (laughs) Instagram Hannah H-A-N-N-A underscore Benny Hood B-E-N-I H-O-U-D underscore studio. And then my website is www.hannabennyhood.com. Very cool. Thank you so much for talking to me. It's been such a pleasure. It's been a pleasure. That is all we've got time for this afternoon. Thank you so much for listening to Art Then and Now with me, Anna Gammons. For any of the images discussed on this week's show or to contact me, visit the Facebook site at The Art Then and Now Show. And see you next week at 3.30 on Resonance 104.4 FM.